Welcome to Kansas City Real Talk, brought to you by KCRR. I'm Bobby Howe. I'm Alex Gehring. Hey, Alex, where are we? We are still at Recharge. Two weeks later. Two weeks later. That's like a SpongeBob SquarePants thing. It's a long time. If you ever wonder where all your dues go, it goes for paying for us to be here for two entire weeks. Yeah, but we didn't even get a hotel room. We just stayed in <laughs> this just, podcast room. It's this, this room right here, and that's it. Sitting yes, in right these here. chairs. These rooms with no windows, no nothing. No. There's not even any color, any paintings on the wall. It's but just... I, I don't even care that much just because I get to actually look at you face-to-face yes. in the room. It's still right. awesome to be back in person. Also, what bothers me about these new um, microphones that we're still using on episode number two, same day, like there looks like there's a curvature of your blue... Like it's like it's like it's a lid on a cup and like I want to press it down, but I also know that would probably make a noise. And so like my OCD is going, it's like a lid that needs to get pressed down. And it's there's a part of me that agrees with you because I thought the same thing, except I'm looking at it and I love it. It looks like I don't know. It's the only pop of color in the room. Right. I mean, it's tan and black carpet. And then we got these pops of color. They're very happy. They're very happy microphones that I wish you could see. But you know what? Uh, Josh Rockledge is going to come in here and take photos of us later, so we might get to see the pops and of color. What's he taking pictures of? Again? I don't want to talk what's about it. What's it for? I don't want to talk what, about it. I do not talking for? about it. Nope. <laughs> You're a jerk. You are a jerk. He's taking pictures for the documentary. Shut up. <laughs> Amber, cut this out. It's, been- it's fine. <laughs> Why are you mean to me? It's because so I nice. love you. Okay, okay so what, what's going on? All right, so we're still at recharge. Still at recharge. We've had. Jared has presented. Yep. There was an amazing panel of old versus new. And we got to see the very end of that because we were recording with Jared. So, I mean, right. I'm not going to pretend like yeah. I saw all of it. But what I did see the last few minutes was a really great panel. And then Mara just came off stage, which, you know, she's one of my besties. So I'm probably pretty biased. It, but and, I thought amazing presentation. And uh, has she been on the podcast twice or just once? Yeah. One other time. I think she's just a one other timer. Just a one other timer. And yeah. we talked about uh, VA mm-hmm. with, with Mara, which yeah. was awesome. And today we're going to talk emotional intelligence, moral intelligence, and body intelligence. Like yeah. she was only asked to speak about emotional intelligence. And she just added some extra intelligence in there for KCRER for free. <laughs> Amazing. Right? Isn't that amazing? (laughs) So cool. All right. So what else is going on in your world right now? Because we've been talking a lot about me lately, and I'm a little over talking about me, even though you think I'm not. So what's been going on in your world? What's new? Uh, um, Not like anything too crazy. I mean, I don't have film crews following me around or anything like that. You know, that's just a... If you're cool enough to get a, so it, you know, the last day we were filming, we went up to the Liberty Memorial and we did some shots there so we could have the skyline. And yeah. there was like a hundred, 150 people there. And there were certain scenes where like, I would be walking across the, the big area up at the top and like, I would be walking towards the camera. And then there was other times the f- film crew would be behind me and I would be walking away from the camera. And there's like all these people like wow. watching, like. What are they doing? Yeah. Shooting a commercial? They thought you are were, they they were going to be on movie? something awesome. Right? Oh, yeah. They're not going to, they're going to sign their releases. Everything's good. But then at the end, we were going to do one last shot, like away so you could see the memorial. And I was taking some photos of the memorial and they were getting set up. And I can see from across the plaza, I see a security guard running up to the film crew. And I'm like, guys, guys, security guard, security guard. Like I'm thinking that we're in trouble because we've been filming up there. We didn't ask for permission. And the guy came up just to make sure that we weren't doing it for a commercial purpose. He said like, there's been some several companies come up there uh, using drone footage and then Mm. using it to sell their product or whatever. So he's like, as long as you're just doing this for this, you're fine. And then he's like, I, when I walked up, he's like, Hey, 
you're a realtor. I had my realtor R on. And so we had an entire, and I always tell people instead of wearing your name badge, where your realtor are. That yeah. That's an open invitation to have a conversation. And it's when you more have subtle, your, really. It, it's way yeah. more subtle. Like yeah. people like, if I already know your name and I know what company you're working for, that's kind of like, and I could just go Google you. That's right. But I had on my new realtor R and he started a conversation. That's a good tip. It is. Uh, there you go. Pro tip that I wasn't even planning on adding in here. And then you got it. And he talked about his girlfriend just bought a property in Chicago, but now she wants to move to Kansas City. But, you know, she'd never get her money back out. And we're like, if she bought it last week, she could probably sell it and make money. Yeah. Then he started talking about his family and they live in Hawaii, but they're like ancestors of the king. And so like they actually, because in Hawaii, you don't typically own your land. You have ancestors a leasehold. Ancestors of the king. Of the king. And they actually own their land there in Hawaii. And he's like, we're never going to sell that. But Super nice dude. Uh, his name was Josh. He's a security guard out at Liberty Memorial. So if you're listening to this, Josh, you were pretty awesome. Wow. wow. And he, he let us film. He was not mad at us in any way, shape, or form. We could stay as long as we wanted to. That's and awesome. I, I was done. <laughs> well, one thing that I do want to talk about yep. is some great things that are happening with Heartland MLS right yes, now. Yes, this is great. we mentioned them on the... Uh, on stage at Recharge. But if you weren't there. But if you weren't there, you I want to mention them again. One of them will have already launched by the time that this episode comes out, and that's Remind. So we're going to have Remind Pro access on April 5th. And I'm, I'm really excited about Remind Pro. Um, it's going to take uh, a lot of the public record data that we have, and it's going to combine that with MLS uh, data, and it's going to put it together in a great user interface that I think Michael quipped. It actually looks like it came out of this century. And it, it really is very attractive. And it can actually operate in a way as, as a front end. You know, you don't have to, you can use it. We're not, we're not getting rid of Matrix, don't freak out. Uh, but you can actually use Remind Pro um, for most of what you need to do in real estate. So we're really excited for that to come out. The next thing that we're working on, and we're planning on this launching in uh, mid-July, we're looking at Broker Bay, um, which is spelled B-R-O-K-E-R-B-A-Y. Amber, our producer, thought maybe it was B-A-E, like Broker Bay. And you didn't have to dime her out. You could have just said someone. Someone. No, it well, it's be. better to just throw Amber under the bus, though. Okay. I mean, it's or, important. You know she has editing ability. I know. She's going to I cut know. This would be interesting. <laughs> did it but make actually, it? Actually, I think they missed an opportunity with they did. that. I think Broker Bay with an E would have probably been better. That's how but, we get the millennials involved. <laughs> that's right. You need to mention that to Corey as Supra. I think that would be a, a good thing I think you should have mention. that conversation with Corey. We'll, All right. we'll work on so that. So talk us about Broker Bay and yeah. what it does. So Broker Bay is... Um, or Broker Bay, whichever one, uh, is focused on, uh, it's a showing solution platform, right? A, a lot of people were really pushing for something new with showing solutions. And, uh, you know, I was a little bit skeptical, if I'm being honest, you know, in my opinion, the showing solution platform that we have works just fine. And then we started looking at this thing, and it is amazing. I mean, it really is incredible. One of the things that I'm most excited about is that Broker Bay is actually owned by Supra. And uh, so our lockboxes actually will integrate with Broker Bay. So it'll all be in one app. Your Showing Solutions app will be one that you can set up appointments. And that same app will also unlock lockboxes. And we're getting close to that. You will have more control over your lockboxes through the Showing Solutions app. Uh, a lot of the data and stats that they have are incredible. There are some uh, other things that you can uh, 
that individual companies uh, and offices can pay for that give some additional broker control uh, that we don't currently have through through our current provider. I'm just really excited about this product. Um, change is always difficult, right? But I, I'm a believer that by the time we get through this change, people are really going to see some some immense value coming from this product. So I'm really excited about it. So does that mean we're getting rid of showing time? That does mean that we'll be getting rid of showing time. And, you know, there's a lot of people who, you know, you get on Facebook and you see people complaining about who owns showing time and all this kind of stuff. Guys, that's it. I'm just telling you. Like, we're not going to go down that rabbit hole. Thank but you. But what a silly rabbit hole to go it's down. Such a silly and I mean, Jared kind of mentioned it. You know, you can't get men out of shape about that kind of stuff. If you think that that kind of thing is disrupting your business, you are wrong. Hate to say it. That kind of thing is not actually disrupting oh, your business. No, it's not. It's, it's when not. you come from a place of scarcity and you're so focused on everything else yeah. around you versus what you're actually doing in your own business. What a crazy concept to focus on yourself. No kidding. Right. But we looked at this product and it really is a superior product that mm-hmm. I think is going to serve our membership really well. So I, I'm really excited about it. And it was an easy sale. Yeah. I mean, when we saw it, we knew we knew we had to do it. You were like, done. Check yeah. the box. Moving on. Absolutely. Yeah. I love it. Pretty you know pumped. what? What? I've got a book bit. Oh, you always have a book I bit. Know, it's right? so impressive. No, it's How crazy. do you read so much? I don't Oh my gosh. Do 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 Bobby's book bit. Casey. I still should have done the puppy dog thing, but I didn't. So all right. <laughs> so this week's book bit is inspired by our guest, Miss Maura Neal from Atlanta, Georgia, aka Bobby's Bestie. And um she has taken the uh several different summers. She's gone to Harvard. Uh, university and had taken their negotiations class there. So my book bit today is what they don't teach you at the Harvard Business School. And um, this book actually talks about why succeeding in business has less to do with actually accumulating knowledge um, through school and books and more about people and communications, you know, living life experience. So my favorite quote from the author, Mark McCormack is, if you aren't afraid to fail, then you probably don't care enough about success. And mm. I kind of feel like that's a conversation we have a lot in this business. Absolutely. Is people don't even do the things they need to do to give them an opportunity to succeed. So therefore, they're pretty much just guaranteeing that they're going to fail. So as always, there are three lessons in this book. The first lesson is to glean insights from your business colleagues by listening and paying close attention. What is it that drives the people you're dealing with? What's their motivation, their aspirations, their fears? We learn a lot when we actually look inside of other people and know what's actually driving them. Lesson number two, and this actually goes back to something Mara talked about um, just on stage. It's really weird as I did not know what these people were going to talk about on stage, and yet my book bits seem to be replying you back to what they were doing. Yeah. I am that darn You're good. Amazing. So lesson two is an unpleasant tone in someone's voice or a feeling of discomfort can be useful tools. That's a part of that emotional intelligence we're going to talk about with Mara when she's here in the studio with us. But just know that it's okay to feel uneasy and apply the brakes, particularly if there's a large amount of money or something valuable at stake when you're having that conversation. Listen to your intuition with someone else. And the third lesson is to be sure to allocate time for activities and playtime in your schedule 
read, exercise, or just decompress. Again, what Mara did just talked. Did she write this I book? I did not know. I swear. <laughs> I actually had this book bit picked before I actually saw her slides last night in the hotel room. Um, and again, the trick is that some busy people have learned that working the playtime into your schedule can be the best thing that you can do for yourself. So my book bit is What I Did Not Learn at Harvard Business School by Mark McCormack. Nice. Great book bit. Well done. Let's go bring Mara in. Mara! Welcome back to Kansas City Real Talk, brought to you by KCRR. We are back with our guest, a.k.a. my bestie, Mara Neal from Atlanta, Georgia, previous guest of our podcast. Welcome back. Thanks. I'm so excited to be here. And this time we're in person. Right? I'm sitting in the same room with you guys. It's so fun. This is our first time being in person in two years doing a podcast together. So you get to be a part of that experience that we will never forget. I will remember it for a very long time. And and you want to know why she's going to remember this for forever? Why? Because this conference had beagles. Oh, yeah. That's true. There's a mold sniffing beagle. There is. We keep hearing it bark, actually, which makes me concerned about whether or not there's m- mold. mold in That the, was my question. Which there when, probably yeah. is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and, and, but Mason's just really excited to meet everybody. Mason the fourth, because all the dogs are named Mason, right. and they just have numbers attached to them. We've learned a lot about the beagles today. And, yeah. Well, and, I mean, they're only teaching a CE class just about once a month, it seems like, you know, so. So it you did, could come back for CE with beagles. Oh. You could. Well, it did make me wonder why my beagles don't earn their keep. Right. Um, You know, they they eat a lot and they sleep a lot. Mm -hmm. But they don't. They're not sniffing sniffing out out anything that's useful. (laughs) (laughs) They're sniffing things. Just things that aren't useful. Okay. So let's actually be productive with our time here today and not just talk about beagles, though. We could. We could. We We could. could. Given the way this episode's going so far, actually just talking about beagles would actually make (laughs) the most sense. So, Maura, on stage you spoke about emotional intelligence and you gave us a bonus of moral intelligence and body intelligence. Talk to us about how you actually came across this topic and how you're applying it to real estate. So I started talking about emotional intelligence in my leadership training and just the, the tips and the strategies to not only focus on yourself and your own mental and emotional health as a leader and how to pass that on to the people that you serve with. And, you know, COVID's been an interesting time. We, I think we've taken away some of the stigma of mental health issues and talking about it and being public and open and um, really drawing attention to the things that we could do to improve our working and personal lives. But the low inventory market, or as um, some people are calling it now, the high demand market, which doesn't, it just spins it differently. It doesn't change the fact that it's a very stressful time. You know, sure, if you get a listing and you sell it in a weekend and however much percent over asking price, that's great. But there are going to be, you know, 20, 30, 40 buyers that lost on Mm -hmm. that listing. And the stress of, you know, making those calls to buyers and explaining to them how one, once more they didn't get the house and um, trying to not only bolster their emotional health and their reactions through that process. But also we tend to take it on ourselves. If you are an intuitive or an empathetic person, those are not the easy calls to make. Absolutely. And it's great to call your seller and say, yay, you're getting, you know, 30,000 over asking and no contingencies. But all that to say, I think the market conditions, COVID, feelings of isolation, if you are a realtor in a state where you you were deemed non-essential, you know, all, it's just this perfect storm of 
a time for us to maybe refocus on the basics. Um, but the, the body and the moral intelligence part, that actually came out of research I did. I think I found it in a Forbes article. But the Carnegie Institute of Technology did a study that showed that the most financially successful professionals were those that excelled and had high levels of emotional intelligence, moral intelligence, and body intelligence. Only 15% of successful people scored low on those and um, attributed their success to technical skill and knowledge. Mm. So that's interesting to me too, because we can know a little less. You don't have to know all the things, but if you um, focus on your personal health and your emotional health and your social interactions and the culture of all the relationships that make up your life, if you're happier and you're healthier, you're nicer to people and you are going to build those relationships that lead to success. So you talked a little bit on stage and, you know, you, you gave an amazing link. And actually, you know what, I think at the end of this, we can actually give the link to everyone if you're okay with this, where they, that they weren't at Recharge Today, where they can access some of these resources, some of these materials. But one of the things you talked about was the Dunning-Kruger effect. So talk to me a little bit about that. What is that? Yeah. So the, the Dunning-Kruger effect, it's actually my favorite thing to teach about when I teach leadership, because it's it's actually kind of a moment of comic relief in a, in, in a presentation when you talk about how many of you know someone who thinks they're way better at a certain skill than they really are. And it's funny, right? Because you, we all know that person who thinks they're really amazing at fill in the blank, mm -hmm. right? And um, it's kind of like the people on that show nailed it, you know, where <laughs> you have to make a copy of the cake and it's just a disgusting falling over mess. Of course uh, you'd have a cake reference. Of course I have a cake yeah, reference. Yeah. Uh -huh. It's a uh, Pinterest fail. Bobby's been there. A Pinterest fail, right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So the Dunning-Kruger effect though, for, for us in real estate, it, it's, uh, or in any profession, um, the people who have a low to moderate skill level at something are more likely to think that they're better at it than they are. But then those with an above average skill level at something, whatever that is, we see where our knowledge gaps are. We see where we are deficient. So we're harder on ourselves. We're, we're more critical of ourselves, um, which is positive, right? Because you are constantly learning and involving and improving, but you also are more prone to things like imposter syndrome. So you, you have this interesting dichotomy of people who aren't very good at things, but think they're amazing. And people who are probably above average, but think that they are a failure or think that they're not good enough. And it's this cycle of, um, uh, psychology. And what I think, find very entertaining to think about is what if you have one person from each end of that spectrum who end up in a real estate transaction together? I want to be the person who recognizes the gaps so that I can kind of drive the transaction where it needs to be rather than the person who doesn't know as much driving that train. Trying to fill all of your gaps that they think you have. Right. <laughs> if you can be the one though that can kind of not dominate that conversation, but um, mold it and shape it and get it in the direction that you need it to go, mainly because you're not only seeing your own gaps, but you're seeing theirs as well. Um, if you can find a way to take the reins, you will be able to get that transaction where it needs to go. If you let the other person do it, you're probably going to get derailed. 100%. You talk just a little bit about, you know, having to make those calls to, um, to the buyers that have missed out on property. And one of the things that's happening right now, people don't want to make those calls, not because they don't understand that it's the right thing to do. I mean, there are plenty of people that don't understand that it's the right thing to do, too. 
a lot of people are just getting chewed out by other agents when they make those calls. Um, and one of the things that you talked about was overcoming those expectations and still doing the right thing and getting yourself prepped for that. And you had a couple of tips on that. Can you just talk to us a little bit about that as well? I think when we're calling our own clients and giving bad news, there's a chance we could get chewed out if we don't have a strong relationship. But I know you're talking about calling the agents that have the buyers that are mm-hmm. going to have to deliver the bad news. And I think a, lo- a lot of it is about the relationship that you set up before you even have to make that call. So if you are the agent who answers the phone every time it rings or calls people back during the process, if you are being communicative and you're, and you're setting up the expectation that your, se- your seller ultimately makes the decision, but you are going to conduct the analysis of those offers in a fair way. You're going to make sure that everyone's offer is presented in the same way it, so that everyone mm-hmm. gets equal opportunity to be considered. I think if you start that relationship early, by the time you have to make those calls, yes, there will be the people who are not as nice to you. And we're always going to encounter that in this business because it's a people business, right? Right. But I think there'll be fewer instances of that if they feel that their client's offer was considered. And if, if you have set, you've set the, the, the expectation that you're going to call everyone. The problem that I have is the people who just don't make the calls, right? right. The right. problem I have is what happened last weekend where I made an offer for a client. They pretty much knew they didn't have a chance. But it was the first time they were making an offer. They're a brand new buyer for us. And they said, "Um, do you think it's bad if we make an offer if we're pretty sure we're not going to win? No, let's let's practice it. Let's let's get one under your belt so that the next time, if it's a property that you love more, you're already going to know what the contracts say. You're already going to feel comfortable signing those documents and with the strategy that we put in place. Luckily, I popped into the MLS and found that the property had been marked pending, I never received a phone call. Mm. So I was able to quickly contact my clients and say, hey, by the way, I just heard that another offer was selected. It wasn't ours. And she said, oh, yeah, but we knew that. And I said, okay. What gets me is what if my client had seen it first? Now I look irresponsible. Why didn't you call me? Why didn't you Mm -hmm. tell me? Then I have to put the blame back on the other agent in order to save my relationship with my client, even if it's the truth. And I don't want to throw anybody under the bus. So um, 24 hours after I saw that it had gone pending, so 48 hours after they chose an offer, I got an email. It was a mass email saying, you know, thank you so much for your offer. As you know, this market is fast moving. And but, But I will never mark a property pending if I haven't made an effort to reach out to those agents, whether it's text, call, or email, whatever I can do in the moment as quickly as I need to move. Um, Even a mass email is better than no email at all. Absolutely. And before the timestamp of it going pending. Um, And so I think that's one of the things. If you can set that expectation, if you get 20 offers in and you tell all 20 of those agents, here's the promise I make to you. You will hear it from me before you see it in the MLS. Then when they do get that call from you, I think if you've shown that you're making an above and beyond effort to help them to break that bad news, then I think the percentage of people who are going to chew you out are going to be a lot less. I would, I love that that's your answer. And I, I feel like I sh- like 
I've been thinking about this. <laughs> my ear itches, and I had to move oh the headphones because my ear itches. I'm really sorry. I was trying to do it very Bobby's quietly. Bobby's ear scratching her ear. <laughs> have you, it's been so long before I wear headphones, and my ear is like, what is going on? We've been thinking about this for because I, I hate to say it, this happens too frequently in the Kansas City marketplace. I feel like I hear stories about this happening just about every day right now. And... But I love the idea that it all starts with communication because I also still have this situation where we call people up and we ask them how many offers they have and mm-hmm. try to get details on all of that. And the answer is, well, I don't feel like I can really talk to you about that. Well, that's not a really great start to communicate. We talk right. about communication before we get the offer accepted all the time. Um, so I think, yeah, I hadn't thought about connecting those two, though. Well, and I want to speak to that for a second because I, I've, I'm a very strict constructionist of the code of ethics yeah. and real estate law, as we all should be, uh-huh. right? Um, She's and, a constructionist. Well, I like it. It's, yeah. it's a very um, constitutional mm. term. I, I liked it. Uh, but I, I've, I'm very much a rule follower. I'd like to, to retain my ability to do business and make a living for yeah. as long as possible. Yeah. Crazy. I know. Um, but I, Bobby and I just talked about this yesterday. Uh, I, I am very reluctant to answer questions that I don't have explicit permission from Ooh, my seller to absolutely. share. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. So we talk to our sellers about that too because sometimes it's a strategic release yes. of information, yeah. right? So I may say things like, I'm not at liberty to share with you how many offers we have. Right. Because we right. might have zero. That's true, mm-hmm. right. Uh, I might say things like, now if you say, do you have any offers, I have to either answer yes, no, or I'm not at liberty to share. And it can be strategic, right? You You have to be honest or you have to not disclose. Right. But I also like to, instead of that just being my answer and shutting down the conversation, mm-hmm. I think there's a way to turn the focus of the conversation to, but what I, what I do have permission to share with you from my seller is some things that would be attractive to her in the offer. Sure. So just switch that, switch the conversation, you know, take it to another, you know, deflect a little if yeah. you're not comfortable talking about that. Um, I think that's a really good point. I, I totally agree that you always need, obviously, you need to have your seller's permission. I think that right now, what I get worried about are the buyers who write an offer on a Friday and then we wait till Monday to mm-hmm. make a decision. There are only so many properties that come on the market and then they're sitting there and they're waiting and waiting and waiting. And they might have missed out on another opportunity if we didn't just call this one person right. out of 40 and say, look, not, I mean, you wouldn't say it like this, but you don't stand a chance and please, you know, find another one. I don't want you to be held up. And those kind, those kinds of conversations, just communicating in general with your people, with your seller's permission is so, is so critical. One of the things too, that we've been talking to our sellers about a lot, I think, first of all, I think there's not enough time spent on seller strategy in multiple offers. And the way that we've secured listings, especially in the last 12 months, is we go into that listing appointment, if it's not a referral or a repeat client, and we say, um, we, we think you need to have a clear understanding of your of what your strategy should be. And they're like, well, we just go on the market and collect offers, and then we pick one, right? <laughs> and every seller thinks they want multiple offers until they get them. Right. And then it's very stressful having to pick the one, right? It's easy when you just get one offer and you just have to try to make it work. It's not so easy when you have to pick the one that's going to get you to the finish line. And, but part of the strategy is um, if we're getting you know, 10, 20, 30 offers, go to your seller and say, okay, you know, we need adequate market exposure, right? And I firmly believe in that because if you think back to the old days of like 2017 and 2018, 
you might not get an offer in the first day. It might take you a week or two weeks. And now, of course, people think that's a lifetime right. to wait. It's stale. <laughs> yeah. It is. Yeah. Yes. But you, that was mark, adequate market exposure. So you don't want to make those buyers who are at the bottom of the stack wait for your multiple offer deadline on a Monday. So we'll often go to our sellers and say, out of a courtesy to these buyers who are clearly, you know, they may, they may be up, if you have financed buyers up against 10 cash offers, okay, can we set some of them loose? Now, of course, it's with your seller's permission, but it's almost a courtesy in this market. And I never would have thought of this, except an agent did it for me last summer. I got a phone call and I thought, we're getting Yay. a call to, to mm-hmm. be told that we, we got the house. But they actually said, we've spoken to our seller. We have two more days before the multiple offer deadline. We're so appreciative that your buyers like the house enough to write an offer. However, we have X amount in right now. There are five clear top choices out of, you know, 25. You can, you can wait around. But if your buyer needs to go and make an offer on something else, we want you to consider the fact that they're probably not going to get this house. And this came from the seller, I have to believe, right? Mm -hmm. And so we've started having that conversation with sellers too, is can we set some of them loose? Because they need to go find something else. Instead of waiting around, we're going to have four or five days on the market, then we're going to take 24 hours to make a decision. They're not even going to get offered a backup position, so can we let them go? And some sellers are like, well, I want to consider everyone at the same time. Great. It's up to them. But some of them are going to be buyers themselves or right. already have been. And they're like, oh, my gosh, yes. Let's they have let high them. EQ. Yeah, yes, they, they have high emotional intelligence, right? Um, so I just I feel like there's if we think outside the box, if we stop having one strategy for every buyer and one strategy for every seller and we really get creative, we can find ways to preserve some emotional stress and strain for other agents' clients, which ultimately makes us easier to work with and makes people want to work with us more as well. So I'm going to take a turn just a little bit, but while we're still talking about emotional intelligence, you gave a list of eight ways to improve our self-awareness or our emotional intelligence. And um, one of them that you talked about was limiting your social media, Mm. the compare and despair. And I believe you talked about success porn on stage, which really got a rot, literal rise out of people. It was not Ooh. a good turn of the oh, phrase oh, 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 there. That was a figurative rise. There may have been a literal rise out of some people in there. Okay. Talk to us a little bit about the importance of limiting. Because I, that, I have so many people right now taking screenshots of people of all this crazy stuff and sending it to me. And I'm like, you need to step away from social media. And they go, I know. And the next day they send me another screenshot. And I'm like, remember that conversation we had yesterday? Stop it. So we're all guilty of it, mm-hmm. I think. Um, I'm especially guilty of it. And I, I've backed away from, <laughs> it's funny, I've backed away from social media a good bit. I'm trying to find a better way to balance it. That's why if you go to my personal Instagram, which a lot of realtors end up following, I think they think it's going to be about real estate. And then they realize it's all cakes and beagles. And, <laughs> and then they stick around, which I'm like, see, you need just pretty cakes and pastries and cute dogs in your life. I literally follow... Beagle Instagram accounts and bakers. And that's it. Um, So that's my strategy right now to keep myself from the compare and despair uh, situation. You don't compare yourself to other bakers? I aspire to be. There we go. Although I do compare myself to people I think I'm better than. (laughs) Like the hedgehogs? Oh, yeah, the hedgehogs. Um, 
No one's going to know what that means. No, nope. we don't have time to explain it. No, nope. um, <laughs> we don't. So uh, th- there's a lot of reasons I think that we should limit our social media exposure. And again, I'm I'm sort of preaching, but also guilty of it. You know, do as I say, not as I do. But um, some reasons. First of all, for for better sleep at night. I recently read that not only should you limit your blue light exposure 30 minutes before you go to bed, but also the first 30 minutes that you wake up in the morning to give your body time to actually wake up naturally instead of being blasted with this blue light through your eyeballs. Um, but more, and so that's more physical health, right? Better sleep is um, conducive to being more physically healthy. But I think also the emotional health of the comparison, constantly comparing ourselves to people and forgetting in the moment that we only post our best selves on social media. So, and quite frankly, people lie. Mm -hmm. People lie about how many properties they're selling, how many clients they're working with, how many buyers they're getting under contract in this market. The cute thing their son said. And just how happy they are. Yeah, the cute things their kids say, which I'm like, I don't know college students who speak with that level of vocabulary. I know that your eight-year-old didn't, so stop. (laughs) But but we also, um, we can't compare ourselves. We have to create our own definition for success. And this is the perfect time of year to be talking about this because this is when all the associations and brokerages are giving their production awards. And here's the thing. And, and I'm, I don't want to pick on any one brokerage, but um, like when you see awards like I got the Emerald Elite Award and there's no explanation for what that means. I don't know if that means you sold one house or you sold 100. I don't know if that means you, it's, a, it's an award for community service or for sales and transactions. I don't know what that is. So again, we're posting things without context. We're posting only the best pieces. And it leads to, um, uh, I think, what is probably going to soon be a diagnosable mental health issue Absolutely. is, yeah. is this um, social media, not just addiction, but um, mental health problems that stem from this constant comparison of ourselves to others. And it's not just in the real estate world. I mean, you hear about it with, you know, middle school and high school kids comparing themselves yeah. to Instagram influencers and wanting lifestyles that they that they're, they're not achievable mm-hmm. and they shouldn't be something that we want. I don't want to live. It's like we tell our sellers, you know, you can't live in a model home. It's okay. We're going to stage your home. We expect you to keep it to a standard of cleanliness for showings, but it's never going to look like a, it's not going to look like the clean and um, sterile experience of a model home. But why do you want it to? I want to walk into a showing and feel that it's cozy and homey, clean, showable, staged, but feeling like it's actual got humans in there experiencing it instead of just this pristine, sterile environment. And I think that that's what we see on social media. We see the pristine and the sterilized and the curated instead of the real. I want to see more of the real. And But the opposite of that success porn thing that you mentioned and the other one was motivation porn, mm-hmm. people who are constantly posting motivational memes and sayings that make us want feel like we have to work harder in this hashtag hustle. You know, I don't want to hustle 24-7. Um, but the other side of it that I uh, saw mentioned recently in an article is vulnerability porn. And it's people who overshare about their, you know, sad experiences or their um, medical stuff. And it's it's being overly vulnerable which I think is a reaction to the other side, the other side, but it's the other extreme. Like I don't, I don't necessarily want to read an overshare of 
what's mm-hmm. happening in your life. I want to be a friend to you, but also think about the fact that we're not friends with most of the people that we're connected to. So the success porn and the vulnerability porn are just ways to grab attention. Absolutely. I think about this all the time, be, especially with the um, like on this day pieces that we've got mm-hmm. now. When you post something like that, you might feel like you're putting your truth out there and that's that's good. I mean, I, I, if you feel good about doing that in the moment, that's great. You need to remember that you own that every year on the date that you post this now mm-hmm. until mm-hmm. you delete it. Mm-hmm. And and is that what you want to own for that day yep. for the rest of your you know social media lives? Hopefully we just get away from all this. You bring up an interesting point that I want to ask about because I think that it's – I just hadn't thought about it. And that's the difference between wanting to compare yourself to other people versus being inspired by other people. And what's that, where's that threshold? Because there's a total difference, and you're right, I've got, like on Instagram, I follow different people than I follow on Facebook. On Facebook, it's totally the compare and despair thing all the time. Instagram, it's a totally different deal. The only difference I could come up with is that I actually know all of the people on Facebook and I don't really Ooh. know most of the people on Instagram. But what, like what, do you guys have any thoughts on that? I had never really thought about how it doesn't bother me on Instagram when I don't know people. <laughs> well, because it's, it's easier to be inspired by people you don't know yeah. and easier to compare and despair against someone you do know because you know them. You could put yourself in their shoes and be like, why do they have what I don't have? You know, and why do they get to have that? Because they're just putting that best face forward. Obviously, I'm not the person you asked that question to, but you looked at me when you said it. So I started talking. It was an open question. (laughs) Well, I think too, if I think about my own, so I have two Instagram accounts. One, of course, is cakes and beagles and occasionally cocktails and, you know, running. And the other one is supposed to be the one that is my real estate page that I've only recently started paying attention to again. I just, it's easier for me to pay attention to cakes and beagles and cocktails and running. And I think when I think about those two, I get so much more joy out of scrolling through the beagles and the cakes and the I'm I'm controlling that community mm-hmm. and what the focus is. Now, we you can make the argument that you can control your Facebook community too. You just start unfriending or unfollowing people, but it's almost set up to not support that kind of control, right? Yeah. Cuz you see everything in your Facebook feed. And sometimes I don't understand the algorithm because I see people that I haven't ever seen in you know years. And I'm like, why did where did you come from? <laughs> but you know, when I when I scroll through my personal Instagram, that's calming for me. And like I love to look at the cakes people create and all the cute beagles all around the world. And then when I go to Facebook, I just I either find myself getting annoyed or angry or saying, you know, God how, what am I doing wrong that that person is achieving that? And I'm not, and I have to intentionally remind myself about compare and despair in a way that I don't when I'm on Instagram. And I just wonder if it's uh, the feeling that we control the community more. And also that people on Instagram, at least the ones that I enjoy to follow, also are very, it's very nichey, right? Like it's very much a niche. So, you know, someone who specializes in luxury real estate, I know that that's all I'm going to see. I'm not going to see their cat and their dog and their, so we've almost, um, hyper curated 
our Instagram feeds in mm. a, both what we post and what we follow in a way that Facebook is kind of a free for all. Mm. There's specificity in Instagram. And there is. Thank you. That's yeah. the word I was looking for. Specificity. Yes, exactly. All right. Well, we are running out of time. I can hear them breaking inside and there. And then we know the voices are going to pick up here before long. One last question for you. What else should we talk about in regards to emotional intelligence or anything in, in general? Beagles. Cake. <laughs> so I think the, the last thing we should touch on is um, burnout. And I talked about it in the session today. The thing that I find disturbing, I think, is that we've started to um, use it as a generic term for just feeling tired or frustrated, like, oh, I'm so burned out, you know, in a, in a way that we also say, oh, I'm so busy, which is the other word I don't like. But as of January of this year, burnout, clinical burnout is an actual diagnosable malady by the American College of Psychologists, I think. Uh, if that's wrong, it's fine. I apologize. Um, but burnout, it's, it's not only, it's an overwhelming feeling of cynicism. It's an overwhelming feeling of apathy. It is, uh, it can manifest itself physically in chronic aches and pains and um, a weakened immune system, you know, chronic migraines. And I think we need to pay more attention to it as a mental health, a real mental health concern, especially in our business. You know, I know Bobby has her great keynote that she does about her mom and if if we're not talking more about this business that can eat you up and chew you out if you don't have a plan you have to have a plan for setting professional boundaries we cannot possibly physically and emotionally be available to our clients 24 7 there's no reason that if i can't call my dentist after five that we can't set some kind of boundaries for our clients and and utilize things like time blocking setting our own um, parameters for recognizing success in ourselves and all of the things that you can do to be more emotionally intelligent and more um, happy in your life, personal and professional, are things that can help you to combat, uh, to combat burnout. And recognizing when we are feeling those feelings, not, not just feeling tired or feeling frustrated or feeling like, I'm, oh, I'm too busy, but actual feeling physical symptoms of I don't care if this closes. I don't want to get out of bed today. Some of the same symptoms of clinical depression are also symptoms of clinical burnout. And I think we need to be a little more in tune with our bodies if we're going to experience longevity in, our, in this industry because it's, it's all too possible for it to break you, yeah. mm -hmm. um, especially in a difficult market like this, but even in a more balanced market. I mean, uh, fighting against the Zillows and the iBuyers and, you know, your competition in the market and your clients, um, pulls on your time. And then also your family obligations and your personal obligations. It's, it's a perfect storm to experience mental health issues. If you're not paying attention to your body and, and what your mind and is telling you. So that's the last thing I would touch on is just be a little more in tune with, what you're feeling. And if you're feeling like you need to talk to somebody or you're feeling like you need to get help, there's such less stigma on it these days. And there's nothing um, that should stop you from seeking out ways to be more happy and healthy. I don't know anything else I can add to that. So thank you from the bottom of my heart for sharing that and being a part of this conversation because it's a conversation we definitely need to have more often and in different and varied ways. And that's exactly what today was. It was a different and varied way to look at things. And I appreciate you for bringing it. So thank you for being a guest with us once again. This won't be the last time. I love you. I love you. <laughs>
No love for Gross. Alex, but it's okay. Oh my yeah. gosh. Jeez. Get a room. <laughs> 